to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I am joined once again by Kevin. Seriously, though, Senator, seriously, I I do not, I can't recall. I, What's your name again? Hume. How yeah. are you doing, Kevin? Yes. Uh, I, I, I don't recall. <laughs> so what was the I, question? <laughs> so I, I know that one of your pet peeves, we've talked about it before, uh, uh-huh. about our current federal system is that there are no term limits on members of our legislative branch. Yes. <clears throat> and um, I know this might be punching down because I'm certainly taller than Dianne Feinstein, but yes, there is a new are. story in the New Yorker quoting sources close to the San Francisco Senator. And they say she's been more than a little bit forgetful lately. She, uh, she is presenting, you know, symptoms of early uh, dementia, unfortunately mm-hmm. for her and her family and for the American people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because, you know, we need our senators to be sharp, right? We do, you know, like, I mean, you know, Diane Feinstein, I, I don't want to disrespect her. She's, no. you know, she came into the mayorship of San Francisco at a very trying time and managed to make that into a run for the Senate and has made it last for, gosh, almost 30 years. But saying that 30 years in the Senate is kind of ridiculous, you know, um, and you know, she's not the only politician that visibly has fallen apart in office. You know, right. there was Strom Thurmond in the nineties. We may have talked about this. Uh, like, I think it was well known within the Senate from, from stories and things that I've read uh, that he basically had lost his mind almost and had still managed to keep his seat for gosh, at least you know, one or two terms past the point where he could barely talk, you know, also well-known. He was a total bastard. Oh yeah. You know, (laughs) (laughs) but just, you know, like, you know, whatever we want to say about the, the, the dude that we're kicking out in a couple weeks, you know, like it's just weird to see so many people in their seventies and eighties that are our leaders, you know, people who don't understand how the internet works and how to prevent things from like what the, the Facebook, uh, you know, the Facebook thing that's in the news this week about them being a monopoly, Mm -hmm. like that could have been broken up, you know, years ago. So it's just crazy that we have people who just don't understand how internet companies work, tech companies work, and how to lead and to be a part of this society that we live in right now. Like Rudy Giuliani, not a leader, but a part of the Trump administration, didn't understand that he that that ordinary people didn't have access to the health care that he did. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Although maybe it gives a little bit of insight into that hug that she gave uh, Lindsey Graham, like when she was giving him that, like maybe she got confused um, by the term spineless and thought he actually just needed help standing up, you know, after the meal, the guy, poor guy doesn't actually have a spine. Uh, No, he really doesn't. He really doesn't. I mean, I can understand the sentiment of why she was doing it, but like clearly she didn't understand the political climate in what she was doing. Like she wanted to commend a colleague that she's worked with for a very long time on running, you know, 
I guess, some sort of clean confirmation hearing. I just don't think she got the full weight of what was going on. And it's it's fucked up. It's fucked up. Speaking of spinelessness, Ted Cruz has reportedly told Trump that he will make oral arguments if any of these cases uh, that Trump and, and Giuliani are pursuing ever make their way to the Supreme Court. I mean, this man insults your wife and accuses your father of conspiring to assassinate a sitting president and repeatedly calls you lying Ted. And then you phone bank for him and you say you're going to go to bat for him in the Supreme Court. Come on, dude, clearly is a piece of shit. Just, ugh. you know, like Texas is becoming more and more progressive because of the amount of people from across the country that move there, the amount of tech companies that move there. Lord knows that they're stealing them from California. But, you know, like they keep electing these crazy people to represent them, like Ted Cruz and just that guy's got to go, man. And he just got reelected, what, like two years ago? Fuck that guy. Yeah. Well, fortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to come to that. I think our country is deeply divided and very broken in numerous ways, which we've just elucidated. Clearly. But I am thankful to see that, at least for now, the corruption, nepotism, batshit crazy conspiracy theories have not infiltrated the court's Donald John and his poor old hair dye sweating goon rootin' tootin' Rudy G <laughs> have been striking out left and right in the courts as numerous judges that Trump appointed and whom he bragged about appointing, touting their bona fides as staunchly conservative constitutionalists. Many of these same judges have actually consulted the Constitution and as such, in considering the arguments of Rudy G., the, the G stands for Gollum, I believe. Uh, <laughs> and considering those arguments, they've been like, nah, dog. Pretty much. I mean, you know, nah. like <laughs> he thinks that they're all going to act like loyalists, but, you know, they act like apparently the people that they're supposed to be, which are judicial just jurists, you know, yeah. they are supposed to be these jur- judicial purists and to uphold the le- the letter of the land. And they kind of do. Yeah. Thank God. I mean, I don't know if lifetime appointments have anything to do with that, but um, you know, if they do, uh, maybe we should keep those. Um, so I just wanted to go over a couple examples. Uh, we have, we have Stephen Biba, Stephanos Bebas, uh, the who the orange one appointed to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals in 2017, and who, in rejecting one of Trump's recent lawsuits, wrote, "Charges of unfairness are serious, but calling an election unfair does not make it so. Charges require specific allegations and then proof. We have neither here." Mm-hmm. Um, there's more examples. Politico, New York Times, other media outlets have listed the many ways our judicial judicial system. The judicial system. Who who is that? What I'm comic not, is that? I don't I I don't know. There's a comedian who says you can't say judicial system without sounding drunk, right? Yeah, he's got something. I just I, I don't think we can pull up who he is. <laughs> I don't know who he is. Anyway, uh so yeah. They've shot down Don Juan and Rude Boy Rudy over the past few weeks. Um I, I don't need to list them all here, but I will note the big one. Earlier this week, on December eighth. The Supreme Court, the mostest supremest court in all the land, 
turned down an invitation to hear the outgoing administration's spurious arguments with a single sentence, the application for injunctive relief presented to Justice Alito and by him referred to the court is denied. Denied. No stairway? (laughs) Denied. (laughs) Denied. Man. That's like that's like uh as Cardi B might say, that's like leaving a text on red. Just yeah, like no. Yeah, I saw, <laughs> I saw what you said, fool. Just straight up unequivocally nah. That's just slamming the door. Nah. Anyway, um hopefully the courts continue to do their job. Um and hopefully um we can help Bay Area uh, and California nurses and doctors and medical people do their job, medical professionals, um, because I know it's frustrating, but I think there is some light at the end of the tunnel and we have a vaccine coming. Um, But, you know, California got locked down again. People are frustrated and I can understand why. Like, I don't know. I saw a video of um, of a, a business owner down in Los Angeles and kind of just demonstrating the sort of the hypocrisy of this, like, yes, we need to really be reining this thing in. But then like she had to shut down her outdoor dining while like across the street, there was like a Hollywood movie filming. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. I mean, that's just Hollywood, man. What do you expect? Yeah. They get their way. Um, they got the big bucks. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's tough out there. And I want to thank all the medical professionals who, you know, even though the lights at the end of the tunnel, there's probably like this big, big peak of cases coming um, given, you know, we just had Thanksgiving and then there's going to be Christmas and there's going to be new year's and, you know, people aren't going to follow the rules and we've talked about that and we understand why, but you know, I guess, I guess I'm just saying that. Thank you to the medical professionals. Yeah. You know, like thank you to them and thank you to all the food workers who have been putting up with people acting crazy and grocery store workers who have to put up with even more people acting crazy with not Mm. wanting to wear masks all across the country. Um, You know, like anybody that performs an essential job, like, you know, how, how could we function without like you? Yeah. You go out. Let's give Kevin a, you know, everybody let's give him a quick round of applause. He goes out there. He, (laughs) he goes out and he takes pictures. I mean, like Kevin is out there like a lot of days taking pictures of people and bringing the news to you. So I want to say thank you to you, Kevin. I want to say thank you to the people who, you know, we're thankful for at the end of the year. Thanks man. But yeah, like, you know, people that, you know, run gas stations or, yeah. or, or drive, you know, product around, you know, delivery drivers, the mail people, um, you know, like the list goes on and on, man. Like there's, there's such a huge dynamic in not just the Bay area, but across the country of people who can afford to work from home and people who have no choice, but to go out there and work. And we really need to give them the support that they need to be able to have access to PPE and to, you know, if they're having trouble with, you know, making their ends meet that they, they should have better access to care and help with rent and all these things that we just, I don't understand why our government can't get on the same page about all this stuff. Just help the citizenry. It's not that complicated. Anyway, uh, thank you once again. And in uh, some more lighthearted news uh, coming up on the podcast, we have Matt Barnes on the show today. SF Weekly's cannabis columnist, Zach Ruskin, 
We'll talk with the former Golden State Warriors forward about his partnership with Ease, the San Francisco-based cannabis delivery tech company. Um, That uh, initiative is aimed at helping black and brown entrepreneurs enter the legal cannabis space through the Bay Area's Cannabis Equity Program. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Zach Ruskin, cannabis columnist for SF Weekly. I'm joined today by former Golden State Warrior Matt Barnes, a man who knows the value of a crucial assist. During the course of his 15-year career, Barnes was responsible for dishing out 1,691 of them. But following a 2017 championship run with the Golden State Warriors, he retired from playing. Since then, he's kept plenty busy serving as an advocate and advisor within the cannabis industry. Recently, Barnes teamed up with the San Francisco-based cannabis delivery company Ease to help advise the company's Momentum Business Accelerator, a program designed to offer grants and instruction to equity entrepreneurs looking to enter the legal cannabis market. Matt, I'm a big fan and thrilled to be talking to you today. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, I appreciate uh, your interest. Uh, you know, this is a exciting space I'm in, so you know, I'd love to talk about it. For listeners who aren't aware, would you tell me a little bit about what you've been up to since you retired and how that ties into your own relationship with cannabis? Um, yeah, just really being, a, you know, an advocate for the plant. Uh, you know, my youth started um, at 14, um, you know, all through high school, all through college, all through my 15 year career. And understanding that, you know, although I wasn't, I didn't get through unscathed, you know, I failed a couple of times, but failing and being in the in the NBA drug program and then actually making friends with the guys who are running the program and, and hearing that, you know, there's a little bit over 400, maybe 450 guys in the NBA. And there was over 200 guys currently when I was in there for cannabis alone. And it really was just a jaw dropper. And it was everyone from superstars to rookies. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, they're pumping us full of opioids that are masking one thing, causing long term effects, but want to find us, suspend us. And some people even, you know, in the NFL, guys have lost their career. But when I retired in 2017, after winning a championship with the Warriors, my main focus was really just to be an advocate for it, you know, be be the shield for the guys and, and speak up for the guys. And, you know, once I kind of took that stance, um, not only the NBA, but sports across the board, you know, guys were calling me, asking me questions, um, you know, them with helping them get involved in the industry kind of on the low I kind of became somewhat of you know not necessarily a guru but kind of just a go-to guy for athletes because you know they knew that I you know I was speaking for them um th- through my past um so fast forward to that you know I teamed up with my alma mater briefly UCLA for the UCLA Cannabis Research Program spoke to the NBA and the Players Association just about where their stance was on the plant and if there's any progress and, you know, slowly but surely there has been progress and studies done and, you know, moving towards the legalization of CBD first and foremost. But I hope hopefully, hopefully within the next two or three years, uh, THC as well, um, you know, transfer that into being a partial owner of a company called Seven Leaves up in my hometown of Sacramento. Um, and now, you know, found myself in a position to um, work with ease. Um, you know, I've always been a fan of I met the, the the core group of them in in um in Venice 
this summer I retired <clears throat> because I was going to do a pre-roll, which was kind of a low-hanging fruit. I wanted to get in the space. Uh, so I talked to them about possibly being on their menu, got to meet the team, and just really liked them. Um, I ended up pulling back um, from the pre-roll because I kind of wanted to revamp my approach and come in more uh, on the CBD educational, informational side before I jump right into the cannabis space because I am a former athlete, I'm a father, and I'm a coach. But still kept in contact with Ease. And then a, a friend of mine, Rashad Johnson, um, took, a, took a place, uh, you know, took a position at Ease and has really kind of just step-by-step step telling me, you know, that the kind of changes they're making, the goals they uh, hope to attain, and, you know, their, 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 their vision for the company. And it sounded great. You know, so they started the Momentum program last year. And although I wasn't an official member of the East family yet, I was still, you know, highly involved, um, you know, giving Rashad information and, and, and kind of letting them know where I was coming from. And then they had me come and speak um, on the final day when we rewarded people with the licenses and the opportunities and kind of just love the smile and the looks on their faces and, and the opportunities people know that, you know, we're really getting a, a, a fair shot at, at trying to make a firm footing um in this space um so you know fast forward to maybe about six months ago the talk started picking up about hey you know momentum 2.0 they're trying to push and they would love you to you know they want they want you to join and you know i hopped on the opportunity so you know now we're here now on, on the brink of national expansion and just like i said really excited about helping people who look like me um have a you know possibly get a, a you know a place in this uh, industry I think hearing from an athlete like yourself who is willing to speak about cannabis in a positive way is a big deal in terms of achieving greater public awareness. It's not just NBA players, of course, but it seems significant that you and Al Harrington and Sean Kemp are all engaged with this industry now. Yeah, I agree because I think there's always been such a stigma on cannabis that, you know, if you do it, you're a loser, you're a gangbanger, you're this, you're that. It's going to lead to other things. And I think the fact that there's you know, along with myself, I kind of think Ricky Williams probably was the first one, maybe a little bit ahead of his time, eight years ago, speaking on the benefits of cannabis, but I don't think the world was ready to hear it yet. But when you get this kind of information and and and, and testimonies from guys who, who were technically one percenters, you know what I mean? We play professional sports. I played it for 15 years, and throughout my career, I used it. So use, showing the world that, you know, I can functionally be a professional athlete, be a father, be a businessman, and still consume cannabis, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, for, for things I find it uh, most effective at. So I definitely feel like, you know, athletes kind of lead the way in several different categories when we speak on things because we have such big platforms and people listen. So I, I love to see myself, my brother Al Harrington, uh, you know, Megatron out there in Detroit. There's a lot of different guys that have had successful professional careers that are advocating for the plant now. Uh, but I think what's even more important than that is there's actual research on it now. You know, we can talk about what it did for us until we were blue in the face, but until there was actually some actual medical research backing up everything we said, the needle wasn't really moving. So now I think it's a perfect storm of athletes and, and entertainers and people with a platform speaking on it, but also the research is hand in hand with us to allow these professional, uh, you know, these professional organizations to understand the importance of the plant. What will your role as an advisor to the board overseeing Ease's Momentum Accelerator entail? Um, I, I, I don't think there's anything that's clear cut defined. I just kind of help where I can. But most of the time it's, you know, whether it's Ease or other corporations or, or, or Fortune 500s, they want to give back to our communities particularly, but they don't, they're not using anyone from our communities to kind of figure out what our communities need. So I think this is a perfect example of, you know, although I was fortunate enough to make it out, you know, my parents were functioning drug addicts. My dad sold weed, went to jail for selling weed. My dad sold other drugs, went to jail for selling other drugs. So I'm someone who lived it from 
three or four years old, my earliest memories, there was drugs around me. You know, although cannabis is called, med- you know, it's, it's medical now, it's not a drug. I was affected by it directly. My family was directed by it directly. So I think moving forward, uh, you know, we're in, in 2020 where, you know, we kind of have a momentum shift. And, and like I said, a lot of different corporations want to get involved with our community. And, and I think it's important to use people from those communities to kind of figure out what is best for those communities. So I'll be adding intel. I'll be telling them stuff from my point of view, from the street's point of view, and, and all, in, you know, to, to better um, ease his overall view of, of trying to really give back and, and fix things and, and right the wrongs that have been done in this. You know, this social equity program was created for people who've been mostly affected by, you know, the war on drugs. But, you know, if you look at it, there's maybe only 3% minority in this space still. The program isn't really where it needs to be. So I'm hoping myself, other celebrities, other athletes continue to push the message and help these people and really show some success stories. You know what I mean? Not just talk about it, but actually have some you know, so some real gains and material to show people like, hey, you know, this first session of Momentum was great. And we have people on the menu. We have people that are starting their own businesses and moving forward. Um, and we look to continue to do that, not only in California, but as we start the expansion across the country. As a 15-year veteran of the NBA and someone who is still super close to a ton of people in the league, what's your outlook on cannabis, be it CBD or THC, in the NBA? Are we close? Um, I'm hoping sooner than later, um, you know, when you look to other issues that the NBA has kind of led the way always in professional sports when it comes to social issues, impact, culture, fashion, music, you name it, the NBA has kind of moved it, but we're kind of took a back seat to the other leagues, which was surprised to me, but at the same time, impressive, you know, when you have other leagues such as the MLB and, and, and NHL and then now the NFL, you know, changing their guidelines to not so much promote the use of cannabis, but just not testing for it. And I think the NBA is a very image conscious league and, and we really obviously want to be careful with our wording when we're, you know, because I mean, I have kids of my own, you know what I mean? So I've talked to them, so, them about this, but we really want to be careful with the image we send to kids. But I think, uh, you know, we're heading in the right directions. Um, when I did have a chance to speak to the NBA and the player association, they both had hired, uh, you know, individual doctors to kind of do their research and kind of ended up on two separate ends. The, the player associate was more pro. The NBA was more nay. You know what I mean? So they kind of wanted to find a common ground. Um, I do feel like that the CBD, if not this season, next season by the latest, will be in the NBA. And then with, with the THC and the other skewers uh, to shortly follow. I'm hoping within a, you know, a two or three year window where people can, you know, ask for, you know, cannabis instead of a sleeping pill or they can ask for cannabis instead of an anti-inflammatory because they all you know hold all the similar uh properties it's just there's no long-term effect from it you know so like i said i think the more that the these leagues are able to educate themselves and understand that the old stigmas are out the window you know when i speak on cannabis it's less about being high and it's more about the educational and the beneficial side um so that i think that's where athletes have to come from And, and like i said i think the world would be really surprised if they found out how many of their favorite athletes used it and it doesn't make them less of a person or, or a bad person. It just shows that, you know, there are benefits from it that can, that can benefit us and help us and, you know, in the longevity of our career, you know, so I'm thinking for any organizations that anything, whatever is best for your players, normally these leagues start to go towards it. And I'm not saying the cannabis is an end all be all, um, situation but it's definitely something that can help us moving forward um like i said in in so many different realms that all sounds really incredible well i really appreciate your time and what you're doing matt 
Not everyone in your shoes is putting this much thought into how they can really benefit the people the industry was ostensibly designed to help, but clearly you are. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, like I said, I mean, I, I am in the space, but to me, it's more about, you know, I made my money in my last career. You know, now this is more about obviously making money, but at the same time, allowing other people to, to, to really find their footing in the space. You know, we miss prohibition. We miss the gold rush. And I don't feel like minorities have can afford to miss this opportunity that's sitting right here. So that's why, like I said, it was an honor to join Ease because they're doing their part in the community to really make sure that, you know, people of color um, have an equal opportunity. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced by me, Nick Veronin. Our engineer is Mike Huguenor. SF Weekly cannabis columnist Zach Ruskin was a contributor. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast through Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. Follow us on SoundCloud and check out our website, sfweekly.com. See you next week.